God promised them, God promised me, and it was ratified and made real to me in the person and in the blood of Jesus Christ. We are not going to have scarceness. We're not going to have lack. We're not going to have broken places. We are the redeemed of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. My God, I feel like preaching tonight. Oh, glory. Woo. Verse 10. When you have eaten and are full, there it is again. When you're eaten and you're full. 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 Amen. Not, 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 not you got a, a little bit to kind of quench your hunger. Amen. There's a restaurant I was at the other day, and it says if you leave hungry, it's because you got tired of chewing. Hallelujah. Now, I don't know how healthy that is, but the point is, he said, when you have eaten and you are full, we see something in the ministry of Jesus. He's there outside of his hometown of Capernaum, and he's teaching the people on the hillside. And the Bible says that the disciples came to him and said, Master, send the people away that they may buy food because the hour's late. And what did Jesus say? You give them to eat. Philip, I hate it that it was Philip, but it was. It was Philip. And he, and he stepped up and he said, Lord, he said 200 penny worth of bread won't feed this multitude. And Jesus said, well, what do you have? And you remember what they had, right? Five loaves and two fish. Is that right? And so they brought the five loaves and the two fish to Jesus. And it says that he blessed them. Now, wait a minute. What's that a picture of? They, they came under the blessing. They came under the blessing. Wherever Jesus is, the blessing is. And the Bible says that Christ is in us, and we are in Christ. We have been redeemed from the curse and brought into the blessing. But notice what Jesus did. He blessed the food, and then he broke it and handed it to the disciples. And as they passed it out to the people, it multiplied. And the Bible says that 5,000 men, besides women and children, all ate and were full. Hallelujah. You can come, you might have come into the land that God brought you into. And you came in with nothing. And you came in broke. And you came in with your relationships disintegrating. But the moment your holy leg stepped over that boundary line, the fullness started showing up in your life. I'm telling you, the devil is a liar. And he's lying to us. And he's telling us that this isn't going to happen. And that isn't going to happen. You need to point your righteous finger under the nose of the devil and let him know, I know my rights. I know who I belong to. Oh. Ha, ha, ha. Verse 11. Beware that you don't forget the Lord your God in not keeping His commandments, His statutes that I command you this day. Lest when you're eaten and are full, notice, it's expected that we're going to eat and be full. Is that right? That's God's plan. God's plan is the good of the land for you. The book of Isaiah says if you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. Isaiah 1 and 19. It's not God's will that you are not that you don't eat the good of the land. And he says all the way through the book of Deuteronomy, if you'll hear and do, if you'll hear and do, if you'll hear and do, this is what will happen. When you've eaten and you are full, whew, and you built goodly houses, and you dwell therein, 
And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and then he just ties it with a bow and all you have is multiplied. Do you see that? All you have is multiplied. Oh, glory to God. He says, beware that you don't forget the Lord your God. Is that right? Don't forget him. Because he brought you out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. The Israelites did not, when they were delivered from Egypt, they no longer again lived like they did in slavery. When we were brought out of bondage, Egypt, all the way through the Scripture, is a type and a picture of the world, and a type and a picture of sin, and a type and a picture of the bondage that we were delivered out of. And notice what he said. He said uh, uh, right here in verse 13, or verse 14, but God that brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. What were they brought out of? Bondage. What were they brought into? What's that? Freedom. They came out of bondage into freedom. Is that right? John chapter 8 and verse 32. You shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Is that right? So you were in bondage. You were a sinner serving Satan. You were lost and undone. You were lost without God. But the Bible says that God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, he sent Jesus to die for us. And Galatians says he translated us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. Not in bondage anymore. Shout out loud. I'm not in bondage anymore. Say out loud. I've come into the land of freedom. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. The first part of the process of possession is you've got to come in. You've got to come into the land. You've got to get up from where you're at, and you've got to come into the land that God promised you. Having a promise is not enough. It has to be possessed. It has to be taken possession of. Amen. Woo! Do, do you see this? This is so important. Deuteronomy, you're right there, verse 8, or chapter 8 and verse 18. You shall remember the Lord your God. Ha, ha, ha. For it's He that gives you the power to get wealth. For what purpose? That He may establish His covenant, which He swear unto your fathers as it is this day. Now, this is important. Deuteronomy, the, the book Deuteronomy, the name Deuteronomy means second law. Second law. If you read Deuteronomy in its entirety, you find that Numbers and Deuteronomy are eerily similar. But Numbers was written to the parents and the original generation that came out of Egypt. Deuteronomy was written to the generation 20 years old and up. Moses had to go back over Deuteronomy, calling it second law, and explain this to them. And he said, God wants to bring you into this land so he can establish the covenant that he swore to your fathers. 
Well, very often when we preach on this, we, we uh, assume that fathers are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were the fathers of that, of, of that nation. But the fathers that he's referring to here is the group that came out of Egyptian bondage. God promised that group the same thing that he promised this group. The difference between that group and this group is the first group wouldn't go possess what God said belonged to them. They wouldn't possess it. Hallelujah. And notice, he says, I want to establish my covenant to you. Which, part of that is the power to get wealth. This is so important. (laughs) The covenant is established when God's people have no lack. Poverty is not a part of the establishment of that covenant. There's no... There's no stipulation for poverty in our covenant. Hear me. There's no stipulation for loss in our covenant. Okay, okay, let, let's, let's, let's break this down. Who's the thief? Who comes to steal, kill, and destroy? Who came to give us life and life more abundantly? So if it's stealing, killing, and destroying, who is it? What the Bible say about the devil? It said if you resist him, he will. He'll what? From who? Why is he going to flee from you? 1 John 4, 4. Can you quote it? Because greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. This promised land that God brought these people into is not a picture of heaven. It's a picture of the redemptive experience of the New Testament believer. It's what we have been brought into as new covenant men and women of God. That everything that God promised the Israelites is a picture of what we can walk in today. Oh, God. Hallelujah. Do you see this? Look at at Job chapter 8 and verse 7. Job chapter 8 and verse 7. Oh God, he's going to Job. I know. Job chapter 8 and verse 7. Though your beginning was small, yet your latter end should greatly increase. Hallelujah. See, whatever you may be facing tonight, ever how bad it may look, The end's not going to be that way. Tell your neighbor, the end is not going to be that way. Say, Say this, say, because I'm possessing my land. Possession. Possession. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 1. Am I helping anybody? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Every giant must fall. Every giant must fall. The enemy specializes as sneak attacks. Coming up on you unawares. And, and, and notice something. If he cannot jump on you directly, which most of us he can't because we know our rights in Christ, he'll jump on people close to you. 
and try to work at you through them. Is that right? Hallelujah. But every giant must fall. Every giant must fall. You say, how do you know that? Because you're in the same cave as a giant killer. The Bible says in the book of, of, of 1 Samuel that David was in the cave of Dullam. And it says that when they heard that he was there, his brethren and a lot of other men that were in debt, that were in distress, and that were discontented, came and joined themselves unto David and made him a captain over them. Is that right? I said, is that right? Well, David at 17 years of age is that little ruddy shepherd boy that walked out into the valley between, between two hills and looked at a giant between 9 and 13 feet tall and said, I understand what you're saying, but you have a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the armies of Israel that you have defied this day, and today I will take your head off of your shoulder. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about how David started that conversation? He walks up and he hears Goliath bellowing. And he says, what's this guy doing? And they told how bad Goliath was. David went over to that guy next to him and he goes, hey, hey, what's the guy get that kills him? Oh, you missed it. You missed it. What does the guy get that kills him? Everybody else was talking about how big he was. And David thought, yeah, that's good. He's so big you can't miss. His brother. Isn't that great? His brother. His blood kin. Who do you think you are? Who'd you leave those few sheep with? David said, isn't there a cause? Isn't there a reason? Shouldn't I be thinking this way? There's a reason. Look what he's doing. My, my, my brothers, listen to me. Isn't there a reason tonight that you should go possess what God said belonged to you? Isn't there something at stake? Isn't your family at stake? Isn't your finances at stake? Isn't your marriage at stake? Something is at stake. There is a reason to go possess what God said was ours. So David just went the second time to another guy and goes, what do you get if you kill him? Amen. Do you see that? Killed him. As Lily says, he put a stone in the sling, hit the giant, and bonk in the head. And that was it. That's my five-year-old, in case you don't know. Bonk in the head. And I said, then what did he do, Lily? Cut his head off. She said that with relish. Cut his head off. But think about this. Now David is in line for the throne. He's running from Saul. He's in a cave. But he's anointed as king. He hasn't possessed what's his yet, but he's anointed to do it. You may not have seen yet everything that God promised you, but I'm telling you tonight, you're anointed to get it. You're anointed to receive. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
and they joined themselves to David. These men that were in debt and discontented and, 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 and depressed. And at the end of that book, you see those in debt, discontented men giving over $5 billion in one offering. Glory. Do, do you see this? Why? They hooked up with something that was greater than their physical makeup. You may not see the way out of what you're dealing with, but you have access to something that, that the world can't explain. That's why the situation you're dealing with is just going to turn, and it's going to shift, and it's going to turn to your good. Why? Because the Bible says that to those that love the Lord and pray in the Holy Ghost, all things will work together for our good. Doesn't mean you're going to learn something from it. That's not what it means. It means as bad as it looks, it'll turn for your good. As hopeless as they say it is, it's going to turn for your good. As impossible as they say it is, it's all going to turn for your good. Do you see that? And the Bible says... That those men became his mighty men. Now, I don't have time to get into all that. But think about this. The Bible says one day they went to war. And David went out to war. And it says, the brother of Goliath accosted David on the battlefield. And it said, he almost killed him. But Abishai, one of those guys that showed up that was discontented and in debt he showed up and it says he secured David and killed the giant's brother where'd he get the anointing to kill the giant in the cave with the giant killer hallelujah I can tell you tonight by virtue of the word, but secondly, by virtue of living this Christian life for all the years I've lived it and watched it happen. Just when they say it can't occur, it will occur. Just when they say it can't happen, it will happen. You are not going to end up on the losing side. You are already on the winning side. Now, that's a good place for you to just kick your leg and kick the devil right in the teeth. Boom. Just kick him in the mouth. Oh, that's a little theatrical, is it? Whatever you think about it, I don't care. If you got a note for the devil, put it on the bottom of your shoe. The Bible says he's under our feet. Hallelujah. Did you ever find Deuteronomy chapter 1? Behold, I've set the land before you. Notice, go in and possess it. Go what? Possess it. Now, I like this word. Possess. It means to occupy by driving out the previous tenants and possessing in their place. 
to drive out, to occupy by driving out the previous tenants and possessing in their place. The eviction notice is my responsibility. Because the land is ours. Belongs to us. The eviction notice is my job. Hallelujah. See, that's what I told you earlier. You need to point your finger at the devil and say, you got to go. I know you got to go. You know you got to go. Make it easy on yourself and just get up and leave. I'm telling you, I'm talking to a group of men tonight that have figured something out. You have figured out that you're the head and not the tail. That you are above only and you're not beneath. That you are more than a conqueror. And I'll tell you something else. The devil's figured something out about you. That you are too costly to mess with. Tell your neighbor, say, I'm too costly for the devil to mess with. Tell him, say, I cost him too much. I've told you for years, you might not can stop the devil from showing up, but you can arrange for him to limp going home. Amen. Amen. You might not can stop the devil from knocking on your door, but you can arrange for him to limp going back. Now, I'm going to tell you the truth. If you came to this men's conference looking for me to talk about how you need to avoid porn and how you need to quit looking at stuff that two-month-old baby Christians should know they don't look at, I'm talking to a bunch of warriors. I'm talking to people that want to possess something for God. I'm not talking to men that got one, one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. I'm not talking to men that want to play games with the things of God. I'm talking to men that know the trumpet's about to sound. Jesus is about to come back. We got stuff to do for God. Amen. I'm talking to men that have made wash your robe in the blood of the Lamb. And you've made yourself ready to meet your God and your King. You have come into the kingdom of God in His Christ. You have decided that you've come too far to turn back. You have made the decision that you've shouldered your cross. And there's nothing back there that you want anymore. And you're not looking back, walking back, falling back. You're going to possess what God said was yours. Hallelujah. Boy, I I could just preach right there for a minute. So tired. Fed up. I tell you, I'm fed up. I'm fed up with preachers acting like the world. Fed up with preachers getting caught in prostitution stings. Soliciting minors online for sex. I'm tired of it. I'm fed up. I'm fed up. We can't model cotty that garbage. The truth will make you free. If you're doing something tonight that you don't want to be doing, you need to get yourself delivered. You need to get yourself set free. Get back in the game because we need some more giant killers. And if you want to keep doing that, any excuse will do. My wife, I was tired. I let my guard down. 
That's an excuse. And that will stop you from possessing the land. Ten men came back with excuses. Oh, the giants are there. Well, God knew that. <laughs> Do you know while you're walking around your land, your promised land, and you see a giant, God doesn't go, well, dear Lord, where did he come from? Thought I got rid of all those giants. Is that right? He expects you to serve the eviction notice. Look, I don't know what you're doing here, but this is my land. I belong here. You don't belong here. So you have two options. You can leave or become fertilizer. Right? But one way or the other, you're going. Amen. Did I mention I'm fed up? Glory to God. Do, do you see that? When you just, now, Pastor, you know, I just need a little love and I just need a little compassion or, or the toe of my boot. There's something that you've got to want more. You've got to want to possess. Whatever happened to praying? Whatever happened to getting in the Word of God? Whatever happened to fasting and praying before God? And asking God to work in your life. And telling God, all I want is what you want for my life. I don't want anything else. Take the whole world, but give me Jesus. Glory to God. I'm moving away from that. It's important. I said it's important. Amen. Statistics, pastors aren't, aren't dealing with the pornography problem in their church. I'm dealing with it tonight. It's like the, the guy that was at the altar. He's down at the altar every night. Oh, God. Oh, God, clean out the cobwebs. Oh, God, clean out the cobwebs. Every night of the revival. The evangelists heard him every night. Next night, the guy's down. Oh, God, clean out the cobwebs. Evangelist knelt down beside him and said, God, kill the spider. Kill the spider. There's possessing to do. There's things to go get. There's a land of milk and honey. There's a family to rescue. I'm helping you tonight. I know of which I speak. I know of what I'm telling you. You are not the only person that's had family issues. You're not the only person that's dealt with wayward children. I'm telling you by the love and the compassion of God. We've dealt with it. And when you do it God's way and you cast the care of it onto Him, you are possessing your land. This is for all of us. There is hope in your latter end, says God, that your children will return again from the land of the enemy. Refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes for tears because your children will come again. See, now we're possessing. I said, now we're possessing. Now we're possessing the land. Hallelujah. Well, every time I 
get around a computer. I get tempted. Then don't get around it. Throw it away. Put a ball bat through it. You know. Oh, it's just not that easy. Okay, you got excuses. You got excuses for not possessing. When you want to possess something, the Bible says, let us strip off every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. There is a prize that every man in here is pushing for. There is a mark of the high calling of Christ Jesus that every one of us is pushing for. That's the end result. Our goal at the end of our days is to hear our Master and our Savior and our Lord Say, well done, good and faithful servant. The land is ours. God has set it before us. When they, we tell the current inhabitants to go, they got to go. Try it right now. Say, devil, you got to go. Tell him, say, you've got to go out of my family. Tell him, say, you got to leave my children. You got to leave my grandchildren. Tell him, say, you got to leave my finances. You got to leave my family. Time's up. Get out. Are you following me? That's it. That's how it is. You're going. The Bible says that when the covenant man Abram was made aware that his family had been kidnapped by the five kings, that he armed his servants. What is Abram and a little over 300 servants to five kings? Nothing unless you look at the covenant. But notice he didn't hesitate. He armed them and went. Rode all night. Defeated him in the middle of the night. Brought his family back. Brought all the stuff. I'm telling you, you're here tonight. And your family's coming back. I'm telling you, you're here tonight. And your family is coming back. Whether they're your sons, your daughters, your grandchildren, your granddaughter, your grandson. They are coming back in the name of Jesus. God is going to be glorified. Glory. Because you're going to possess the land. Woo. Glory. Am I helping you? Come in. We got to come in the land. We got to possess the land. Possession is war terminology. I'm taking, I'm not asking, I'm taking. Not asking. I'm taking. I I know there are men in here. I, I know some of you men. Your daddies. You love your children. 
And if you saw somebody messing with your child, you would step in front of that child and ask, is there a problem with the boy or the girl? Because if there is, you can talk to me. Is that right? The devil may be threatening you. But your father is just about to slide over on the front of you and ask, is there a problem with the boy? Because if there is, you can take it up with me. The Bible says that your God and my God, when we come into the land and we sow the seed and we make the preparation, it says that our God will rebuke the devourer for our sake. If you are a tither, you're not going to lose your family. You're not going to lose your money. You're not going to lose your marriage. Your God is rebuking the devourer right now. Oh, somebody ought to shout about that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, I determined some time ago that this is the anointing on my life. This is how it goes very often. And you know, it used to bother me that I'm, I'm this, this preacher. And you know, you see, you see, and I like to teach, and I'm a pastor, and I do teach. But you know, I, I see guys that they walk around and never wrinkle their shirt and never break a sweat. And boy, I like that. I mean, I enjoy that. Right? I'd like to be Andrew Womack all the time. And boy, I'm saying some amazing things. I mean, I would, I would love, love him. Amen. But I knew it because there's some things that need to be said prophetically to us. We're possessing. We're possessing. We are possessing our land. The Bible tells us about one of David's mighty men named Shammah. You can read it in the Old Testament. And it says that Shammah was in a field. See, here's something that's so key. When you come into the land, the land that you sow seed in is the land that belongs to you. Under the Old Testament... They measured how much land you had by how much seed you had sowed. Shama had sowed, the Bible says, a field full of lentils. Now, I don't know if you've ever ate lentils about that big. They don't look like much to the natural eye. But when that is your source of food, that's a lot. And the Bible says every, every harvest season, the Philistines would show up and take the harvest. See, the devil wants the harvest. You're putting in the work. He wants the harvest. He shows up at harvest season. That ought to make you shout because he might have showed up this week. That means it's harvest time.
your enemy has no idea about what's to befall them. I'm helping somebody. They would show up. It says the Philistines showed up in a troop, a troop of Philistines. And Shammah was in the middle of his lentil patch. I can just hear him now. Not this time. Not this time. I I don't know where you're going to get what you want, but you're not getting it from me not one more time. Not one more time are you getting it from me. And the Bible says he unsheathed his sword and that he slew Philistines until his hand stuck to his sword and he couldn't let go of it. And it says, and God wrought a great deliverance for his people. God did it. But he needed a shama. God did it. But he needed somebody that would say, not today. Not now. Not this time. <laughs> well, there's something interesting. The name shama. It's one of the seven compound names of God. And it means Jehovah is present. Shama was not resisting in his own might or in his own power. When he decided not today, Jehovah God showed up. Because God will show up where the effort is made to stop the encroachment of the enemy. If you don't make the effort, God cannot act. He's limited to what we do. If I was at Ellsworth Prison, they'd say right now, preach, white boy. Amen. And the Hispanics would say, predicando juero. Amen. Hallelujah. Shout out loud, not today. Say it, not this time. Point your finger at the devil and tell him, not today. Not this time. The enemy's doing everything he can do to win. The latest statistics are 48% of pastors want to quit pastoring. He's playing games. He's trying to dry the church up. The local church is the hope of the world. It's the pillar and the ground of the truth. You have been stationed in the local church for such a time as this. The anointing and the power on your life is increasing and it's going to increase more and more. God just needs you to step up and say, I'm going to possess the land. Every giant must fall. Say it out loud with me. Every giant must fall. Hallelujah. He said, boy, this is a lively service. I know, but they saw you come in. They think you go here. <laughs> One time, boy, we freaked some people out. They, 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 they were peeking in the windows. I don't know what they thought we was doing, handling snakes or something. But, boy, the Holy Ghost hit, and people started running around the church, 
And you, if you could have seen those eyeballs, they got big as plates. Oh, my Lord, you'd have, you'd have thought the ghosts were out. Hallelujah. Well, you know, when you're Pentecostal, Hallelujah. Do you see that? Where was I at? Anybody remember? Huh? When you make a determination, it didn't happen in that way. Your father shows up. But I've got to decide this is enough. You're not Pharaoh. One more night with the frogs. When you want the frogs to go? Tomorrow. Let, let, let me share this with you. I'm, 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 I'm watching my clock. Your contentment level with your current situation will determine God's ability to free you. Your contentment level with your current situation will determine God's ability to free you. God will not ever free you from something against your will. Everything that God delivers you from starts with an act on your part. God delivered you from sin because you walked an aisle or you bowed your head on the street or you did something, you were watching Christian TV, I don't know how you got saved, but you bowed your head and made a choice to make Jesus the Lord of your life and the moment you chose to make Jesus the Lord of your life, God changed you. The moment that you said, Holy Spirit, I'm ready to be infilled with your presence, He filled you with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, and your life hasn't been the same. The moment that you sanctified your life, your hands, your walk, your eyes, your ears, your mouth to God, God said, I can use you for my glory. There's a whole group that would not go in and possess what God said was already theirs. And then you'll remember in the book of Joshua, it says this, that Joshua and the people of Israel had been in the land for a while. And it says that God spoke to Joshua and said, go ask the people how long they're going to be slack in possessing the land. See, because you might be here tonight and things are better than they've ever been. Your finances are better than they've ever been. You're, 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 you're not one paycheck away from homelessness anymore. But my brother, there's more. There's more to possess. There's more to go get. Your marriage might be better than it's ever been. But it can be better yet. Three out of your four children might be saved, but there's one yet. Don't get content. Am I helping you? Hallelujah. We're possessing the land. We're going to pray for you in just a moment. Possessing the land. Possessing. The land. Possession, I said, is war terminology. We've got to come into the land. We've got to possess the land. Then 
we've got to dwell there. The Bible says when you come in and you possess the land and you dwell there. This might be my last point for tonight. You've got to dwell there. Everything that Jesus paid for you to have, he paid for with his life. And we do a disservice to our king when we are content with less than what he paid for. We do a disservice to our king when we are content with less than he paid for. I just made that, that decision. And, and you can go across the board. I'm not going to be broke for nobody. I didn't get any amens over here. Let me come over here. No, I did. I got some amens. Here, here you go. I'm not going to be sick for anybody. I'm not going to be sick just because you don't think God heals. Healing is in my land. I've got people in here that could raise your hand tonight and say that you men and women, that you almost came to the brink of death this past year, but you're here tonight full of life, alive by the grace of And here's why. Because when they said, you can't do this and you can't do that, even if you couldn't breathe, even if you couldn't utter a word, somewhere on the inside of you, you said, not today, devil. Hallelujah. You got to dwell there. Dwell there. This is where I'm staying. You come back around next week, I'll still be here. Amen. Some, some of those things sound machismo. But you remember, everybody knew that guy. He'd, somebody threatened to whip him. He'd say, you better bring your lunch. Going to be an all-day job. Right? Some of y'all might be that guy. Amen. Well, that's what you need to tell the devil. Uh, you need to bring a lunch. And not just today. Probably need breakfast and lunch for tomorrow because I don't play nine inning ball games. I play till I win. And I've already won. We're going to dwell there. We're going to dwell there. How, how many in here, and if you don't want to raise your hand, you don't have to, how many tithe regularly? You tithe regularly. God bless you. Good, 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 good men. Well, that means something. That means that there's a memorial. When God looks at you, he sees a tither. I remember, Kathleen's not in here, but Ron's here. He, he might have been in California when this happened. But our daughter, my wife and I were in Birmingham, Alabama at a conference. And... Uh, we, we were there, and it was Matt Gober. I don't know if anybody remember Matt Gober. Matt Gober. Matt Gober, uh, he's in heaven today. It was his 25th ministry anniversary, and we were there at Scott Webb's church in Birmingham, Alabama. And the speakers were uh, 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 Brother Jerry Savelle, who will be here Sunday. He'll be here with us Sunday. And uh, uh, Brother Copeland and Jesse Duplantis. 
quite a lineup. And uh, in the audience was Ed Dufresne and, and a lot of other ministers that are in heaven now. But anyway, here's the point. We, we got up on a Friday morning, and uh, we just felt like we needed to pray in the Holy Spirit. There was just a burden to pray in the Spirit. And we didn't know what it was about, but we knew we were praying for somebody, but we didn't know what we were praying for, who we were praying for. We prayed most of the day in, in the Spirit. And then we just got a release. Toward the end of the afternoon, we got a release. So we, we quit praying and went on about our day. And uh, uh, <clears throat> that was the night I uh, uh, got to f- where I wasn't feeling good. And uh, I went, went ahead and went to church anyway. And uh, Brother Copeland preached three hours that night. And I was healed by the time I left. <laughs> or the sickness just got tired and left, I guess. I don't know. But. I say three hours, about three hours. But here's the point. We got, we got back home. This is before cell phones were real prominent and whatnot. This would have been in 2000, I think, maybe, maybe 99, 2000. And the light was blinking on our hotel phone, and so we picked it up, and it was, a, it was the nurse at Olathe Medical Center. And uh, they said, your daughter has been in an accident. Well, we didn't know what it was. Uh, exactly, but we called, and uh, her and her friends had been out at the, the, when it used to be, there used to be the Great Plains Mall, before they tore it down, and they were out there uh, at the mall, and they, they were in a little Chevy Blazer, the, the small one, and uh, her and Ron's sister and another girl from the church, and when they pulled out, the girl looked this way, but she didn't look this way, and there was an asphalt truck coming. And they pulled right out in the path of that asphalt truck. And it hit them broadside. And uh, I wasn't there, so I don't know. I'm just depending on what I was told. But uh, from what I'm told, when the, the EMTs showed up, uh, they, they, they radioed and said, I believe that we're going to have fatalities. And they said, uh, uh, you know, so definitely we're, we're going to need, they said, body bags. Now, whether they said all that exactly or not, I don't know, but that's what I was told. Well, we had been praying all day. Amen. They had to use the jaws of life to get the doors open. They pulled all those girls out, and the worst injury was one of the girls had to have stitches in her knee. That was my daughter, had to have stitches in her knee, and the other girl, other two girls had bumps on their head. But if you would have went to the junkyard and saw that car, you would have thought it's impossible for anybody to have lived through this. Well, I was, I was praying, thanking the Lord about that, and he reminded me of something. One time I was, I was asking the Lord to do some things in the church, and he said, I want you to take a seed, and I'm, I'm saying the number. It's not, the number's not important, but this is what the Lord told me. He said, take a seed of $5,000, and I want you to get on a plane, and I want you to fly to Florida, and I want you to sow it into this minister's life. Go to tell him you're coming, you're going to be in the service, and you're going to sow the seed. And I said, okay. And so I, I got the, we withdrew the money, and, and I got on the plane, and this was before the accident. And I got down there, and I, and I sowed the seed, and it was just a powerful time. And when I was thanking the Lord for that rescue, he brought me back to Acts chapter 10, where it says there was a devout man named Cornelius of the Italian band, Right, that was praying to God about noon. And it says the angel of the Lord showed up 
and said, Cornelius, your prayers and your alms have come up before me. Notice it didn't just say your prayers. Is that right? See, remember I said you've got to go in and possess the land and sow a seed. You see, it's people that think bad, people that think fleshly, people that, that, that think carnally, think when you talk about a seed, you're just talking about money. We're talking about something that moves the hand of God. I sowed that seed. And God said, when you sowed that seed, when that truck hit that car, that seed came up as a memorial before me. See, my children are part of my land. They cannot go under. They cannot be lost. Your grandchildren cannot be lost because the seed is speaking for them and wherever they're at and whatever they're dealing with the seed is a memorial between them and the ability of the enemy to devour them hallelujah 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 I want to pray for everybody that wants me to pray for them and we're going to, we're, if you want to sow a seed, we're going to, Daryl, just bring the containers. Put them on, the, on the, the, the platform tonight. Glory to God. I don't know everybody in here. I don't know everything that, that y'all are dealing with. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I see some of you writing. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. My wife and I set our face before God the beginning of last week. And we said, Lord, we are gonna, we're going to fast and pray for these meetings that are coming up. And uh, we've just taken those days and just fasted and prayed and, and believed God. And God spoke to me about these meetings. These meetings tonight, tomorrow night. Now, Sunday, of course, Brother Jerry's here. And I was just with him two weeks ago at his minister's conference in Fort Worth. And I'm telling you what, there's, there's a, he's operating in a stronger anointing than I've, I've ever seen him operate in. And, but the Lord said something to me. And I'll say this to our men. He said this to me. He said, the meetings on Sunday are not the apex. He said, it's going to add to what happens in these first two nights. Something's breaking tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 